Hi there, I'm Jim. And I'm Claire. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G, and joining me once again today, Dr. Claire LaMonica, our director. Hi, Claire. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm great. You have new you have new toys. We have new toys. We have invested a little bit. We saved our pennies all all fiscal year. And we scrounged together enough to get a, a little bit uh, nicer in the way of audio setup. We are still uh, experimenting with it a little bit. So if this episode hopefully sounds a little bit better, but um, we're, 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 it's a work in progress. But we wanted to talk today. We didn't want to put it off. We wanted to get back in the, in the saddle, as it were, and kind of do a, a sort of follow-up to our discussion recently about cooperation, because we actually ended up talking a lot about collaboration and the differences between the two. And uh, today we're going to talk about something that you have used a lot or that you have actually done workshops on a lot, which is this idea of using writing as a, as a collaborative learning experience for our students. So is this something that you have to be an English teacher to do? Oh, no. As a matter of fact, um, it's, you know, collaborative writing is pervasive, um, years ago, back in the 90s, there were some women, Angela Lunford and um, Lunsford and Lisa Ede, who did some, did some research on collaborative writing. And at that time, they found that 70% of all workplace writing was uh, done collaboratively. Mm-hmm. I would bet that in the intervening years, um, much closer to 90% mm-hmm. or, or maybe even more of workplace writing is, is done collaboratively. Um, in to one extent or another, I think um, technology has evolved to a place where it's just so easy to to do that. Sure. That um, so um, you know that's that's one reason that people get interested in this. It's is that it's it's prevalence outside the academy. Sure. Another reason is you know collaborative writing is the norm in many disciplines. So not in mine. You know, in, in English, um, you know, you you're really better off if you're a, a sole, an only writer, a sole yeah, writer, a sole, or a sole yeah. author, yeah, yeah. or um, or at least the first author. Sure. Um, Lunsford and Ede actually, interestingly, um, worked and published together for many years, and they would um, alternate. So for one article, it would be Lunsford and Ede, and for the next article, it would be Lee, Ede and Lunsford. Oh, I see. Yeah. They were trying to um, make sure that they both sort of got equal credit mm-hmm. and and in their you know in in that discipline that was important um but you know in the sciences i mean I, all kinds of disciplines um that's the norm you really publish with a number of writers mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and um so that's another reason that i think and you know then there're just uh there are logistical reasons you know people sure. are like hey i can grade 25 papers or i could grade Five papers. Right. I right. choose five. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, but you know, in order okay. to achieve that, you have to do some things ahead of time as you're planning the assignment because it's not just a matter of saying, all right, everyone, your group, I'll see you at the end of the semester with your final paper, right? Yes. To bring, write a paper together. Yeah. That's, you know, that's not. Um, that's probably not going to work very well. That's right up there with smiling and saying, well, you're just going to have to learn harder. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, really. So that's that's not going to work. So, you know, you need to really be um, intentional about um, 
why you're asking your students to write together. So we think of collaborative writing. We're talking about singular texts with multiple authors. Mm -hmm. Um, So why do you feel like it's important to do that? And it might be because that's important for people to be able to do in your discipline or it's Mm -hmm. important for people to be able to do after graduation. Um, It might be because you'd rather grade five papers than than Mm -hmm. 25. But that's... That means, um, as you know, it's is the case for active learning and lots of right. other things. That's just front loading the work. You have sure. a lot more preparation sure. to do. Uh, I, I can also see one other thing because you know we do we do uh, sort of this sort of thing when in the basic speech course where they have to do a group speech and it's essentially uh, uh, there is a, an outline, for example, that they all contribute to, and part of the idea uh, of that is to show them uh, to to get them used to the idea of working in groups, mm-hmm. but it's because we talk about group dynamics and stuff. But the other thing is uh, we're also teaching them research at the same time. Mm -hmm. And to really comprehensively talk about a topic, that's an awful lot of research to do. Mm -hmm. And so they're able to to select different areas and and do the research as well. So I think that might be another uh, another reason to do that. Right. uh, Well, I think they're – you know, so the best reason is that what you want is too much work for one person. Yes. So there's this thing that I kind of call Lamonica's Law, which is just really flippant, but and it is if one person can do the work, one person will do the work. Okay. So any kind of collaborative or group undertaking should always be designed with the idea in mind that it's going to take more than one person to do this work. It mm-hmm. can't be done well by one person by themselves. So when I used... Um, Collaborative writing in English 101, I also used it for research, but it had to be primary research. Right. And they had to go out and conduct surveys or interviews or observations or something like that. And in order to get enough um, enough data to make any kind of statement, then it took more than one person to, to mm-hmm. collect that data and often more than one person to analyze it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, you know, those are situations where... Um, it really does take more than one person to do this work. So let's let's get into the nitty gritty. What does it take to actually prepare the ground uh, to, yeah. to do this? So I think the first thing you should do is you should find something, preferably in your discipline or a related discipline, that was written collaboratively, and you should share that with the students. Here's an example. You know, you're going to be writing a paper together. There will be five of you, four of you, six of you, whatever, working on this paper. Um, let's look at this. Here's an example. This was written by four different people um, and asked them to analyze it, to think analytically. I think a really interesting question would be to ask them, who do you think wrote which parts? Yeah. Because ideally, they won't be able to tell. Mm-hmm. So even better if it's not something that has subheads where they can say, well, we think one person must have written this subhead and one mm-hmm. person must have written mm-hmm. this subway. You know, we, you, you want them not to be able to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, be, and that's the norm. And that's what you want. But that's what, when faculty talk to me about um, collaborative papers, what I hear most often is it's just, there's... There's no single voice. It's They each wrote a section. They didn't even tie the sections together well. Sure. It's like this patchwork sure. quilt yeah. of text. Yeah. Um, and that's been my so experience. They repeat each yeah. other, you know, one section, or they contradict each other. It's just a mess. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think, I, I've been thinking more and more recently about the importance of, 
showing them a model and showing them how impossible it really is in a well-crafted collaborative text to sort out who might have written once. In fact, my experiences with collaborative writing have been that once the text has been produced, even the authors aren't sure who wrote what. It's <laughs> yeah. really funny because yeah. I worked on an article recently, I mean, well, I don't know, a couple of years ago with um, seven other people. And after it was published, my husband said, so which part did you write? And I just burst out <laughs> laughing. I said, you know, there's no way to sort that out. Right. Although, interestingly, we had originally started with each of us sort of working on a separate question. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, but we had pulled it all together. And as we did that, you know, people added. So it was, there was no way of, of saying, oh, I wrote, hardly even any way of saying, well, I wrote that sentence. Because so I couldn't remember. You sound very excited about this. It is cool. It is cool. When how it's do, done well. Yes. So it's how, awful <laughs> when it's when, done badly. <laughs> okay. And I think most students who have tried to work in groups, uh, whether it, it's a collaborative project specifically like this, I think they, students will be bringing into your class probably a little bit of baggage of uh, group work. So oh, well, how do, yeah. So how do you get them excited or at least get them uh, not as timid about the process from the get-go? How do you engender that excitement in, the, in them so they kind of get over that initial inertia whatever well you want to call I think it. I think it's partly what we've been doing you talk about the usefulness mm-hmm. you you know you talk mm-hmm. about why you're having this as, it's always helpful to provide students with a rationale about why they're being asked to do anything because sure. you know they're natural skeptics or something right. they think we're just we don't have anything to do but keep them busy doing things that don't matter so so it's so, it's the what's in it for me answering yeah, that question you know why yeah. why is this going to be important for you yeah. why how is it relevant to your life right um and um and as I said, having them read things that have been written collaboratively and really see what that looks like. Because mm-hmm. I'm betting they don't often look at a text and notice how many authors there are on the text, you know. Probably not. It's, it's, uh, so, um, I mean, unless somebody points it out to them. So right. um, letting them see what it can look like, that it can look like more than just a patchwork quilt. So what are some other planning things that you as an instructor have to do, even before you talk to your students? What are some of the things that you have to think about or put in place? Well, I think you have to be prepared for the fact that when you're asking students to write collaboratively, you're, this this is a really, really complex undertaking in so many ways. And, and you're taking students who are essentially um, – novices are not much more advanced than novices in a variety of areas and asking them to perform in all of those areas at once. So there's, um, you know, when you write collaboratively, there's a group process that's going on, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of writing and theory and, and research out there about what a group process looks like, regardless of what task the group is engaged in. You know, there are things that happen um, in a group. And, and so you've got, you've got that going on, and they may not know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a writing process that's going on. And the, the students, if you're asking five students to write together, you're essentially asking five different writers who may have, over time, developed five different process, writing processes or approaches to writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and asking them to work together through a process that's probably not totally comfortable for any of them, mm-hmm. much less all of them. Right. 
and there's a creative process that's going on, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are ideas that need to be born that don't exist in the world, and they are only going to be born because of this particular group of people interacting at this particular moment of time in this mm-hmm. particular setting, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, mm-hmm. um, it, it couldn't happen any other time. So yeah. that's a really exciting thing, but it, it's, it's, it's not something students are used to experiencing. No. And that, that to me is one of the most exciting things about this. I mean, yes, maybe having a little less to evaluate at the end of the semester <laughs> is nice too, but, but really like you, like we've said, it, it, it's a lot of heavy lifting up front. But you, when we, when we did our, our previous episode, when we first talked about co- uh, cooperation, um, I finally was able to distill the definitions you gave down to essentially cooperation is working together to find meaning mm-hmm. in a text or in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, some sort of area of study when we're talking about cooperation and learning. Um, and collaboration is making new meaning yeah, together. That works. And, and, and I think, I think that that's a, that's a cool, uh, that, yeah. that, and so you're, you're going to create something new is actually a good selling point for yes. students. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you'll get something out of it in the process of creating it. Uh, you'll you'll learn by doing, yeah. as it were. There's they're going to yeah. get so much more out of it than they or you may ever realize. So yeah. so getting into the getting our fingernails dirty here with this idea. Um, do you uh, up front? Do you give them a structure by which the group will work? Do you let them figure it out? Do you give them reading on on best group practices? What what would you recommend as far as Laying down ground rules or, or or doing anything to preempt any pr- group, you know, some of the usual group yeah. problems that happen. Well, you know, I think I would, and I think we've done other podcasts where we talked about, um, you know, group work or collaborative mm-hmm. work and, and mm-hmm. approaches to that. And I think, um, you know, doing some of those same things mm-hmm. will, will work in terms of... Um, you know, forming a group identity and cohesion right. and um, peer and self-evaluation, all of those things, all of that also right. works for collaborative writing and okay. should be should be built in. Um, I think it helps to talk to students about the possibilities, because when we say we talk about collaborative writing as if it were a thing, mm-hmm. but actually um it's a lot of different things. There are a lot of different ways to approach the collaborative production of a text. And there's been some um, research done on this recently. Um, it was Lowry, Curtis, and Lowry. Okay. Um, but what they did was create sort of a taxonomy of types of or approaches to collaborative writing. And oh, they, okay. they identified um, five of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which we probably don't want our students doing, which is, um, well, one person writes, you know, one one person writes. <laughs> one person <laughs> writes and the other people kind of give their two cents yeah, and, that's, and yeah, that's about it. You know, and that's, that's probably not what we're aiming for, um, although that does happen, you know. That's that happens around here a lot. Um, one right. of us will write something and then send it out to others in the office, yeah. and um, other people add stuff to it. And, right, you know, but that's it, not a learning experience for us. That is that is you are the that's you just are us the getting the work done. You know, among our colleagues, you are the uh, acknowledged expert in X. Right. Uh, so you're gonna you're gonna run run with it, and then we're gonna shop it around to see how it plays for different audiences. Right. So that's a that's a whole that's, that's learning a whole different thing. Learning is yeah. not the objective there. Right. So yeah. Um, and so there's also um, sort of sequential writing where somebody writes a piece and then they pass it on to the next person and the next person writes a piece oh. and they pass it on to the next person and 
and that person writes a piece. Um, so that's an approach that students maybe could take. Mm-hmm. Um, they might um, take a, an approach that's called um, horizontal parallel writing, <laughs> which is basically, and I think this is where students almost always go first. Okay. Um, each of us will write a section. Yes. All right. Okay. And to be fair, as I said earlier, this is where my sort of large, my largest collaborative writing experience, you know, where there were mm-hmm. eight of us creating a text. Um, that's kind of where we started. Each of us is going to address this particular issue, and right. then we're going to pull it all together. Um, not where we ended up, but that's but that's kind of where we started. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also uh, a sort of a stratified parallel writing. And this might be okay with you. It might not. It's where students identify their own sort of strengths as writers or as contributors, and they build on those. So somebody says, well, I'm a really good researcher. Right, and okay. somebody else yeah. says, I'm actually a pretty good writer. And somebody else says, you know, well, I'm a good proofreader mm-hmm. or a good editor. So they yeah. they sort of each contribute their own strengths to the process. If only one of them said, I'm good at outlining. Yeah. <laughs> I would die a happy man. Well, you know, I, I'm not a big outliner myself. So yeah, I, I know. Don't, I, I don't I, really care about that stuff. But a lot my, of people do. My, and, my, I, and I from understand my the value. Yeah. 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 I understand the value of the outline. Yeah. It's just I personally can't do it much or well. Um, and then the last um, sort of collaborative writing, and I've written this way too um, with, with one partner and maybe with a couple of partners, where you actually have um, multiple people around a single computer and they're, they're composing together. Really? Uh, yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, yeah. I, I've done it... Um, I've done it with my husband really successfully, but that's, you know, we know each other well. I was going to say that, that represents a level of trust, I would imagine. And we're still married. So, (laughs) you know, but it's pretty amazing. It's kind of like wallpapering a bathroom. Who knew you'd survive that? Right, exactly. um, Or that the relationship would survive that. So, um, but it's, but it's done and it, and I think it's done, um, Possibly most often with um, people who have sort of an, a pre-existing relationship, mm-hmm. um, but I think it might. I, I've also I've seen it work in the workplace too, where you know we do this sometimes. We do this sometimes. I, here, I was thinking about that. Where yeah. we put a document up on a screen in our conference room, and we all sit around the right. table and we basically shop the document. Yeah, you know, we we revise the document and, and typically or write the, it. And typically, that there is a draft. When we do it, there's a draft of the document that has existed already. Either, yeah. either it's easier. <laughs> well, we're re- usually we're revising old material because something has changed on a grant has changed or something like that on campus. But I can see where from a from a student standpoint that may be, um, and I don't know what the research says, but that may be a second step. That may be what they move towards. Yeah. They they one of the other um, maybe more parallel sort of sort of uh, uh, collaborative writing. Uh, styles they may do that first but i can see them you know all right we need to knock this into shape and that to me sounds like one of one way to have a that sort of unified voice that you were talking about at the beginning of the episode you know it does contribute to a unified voice and that um you know so one way to achieve that unified voice is just to have everybody write together now students are um, they may want to do that or they may not because sure. that, you know, they, they often complain about not being able to find time to mm-hmm. work together, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and this is this is writing together in real time. It's not, you know, well, we have a Google Doc and we're all sort of, you know, right. contributing to it. 
Um, but uh, it can be a it can be a pretty um, exciting, illuminating way to write, mm-hmm. you know. And and that's uh, that's also a situation where you get finished and you're like, I have no idea where these ideas came from, because right. they really are produced by the synthesis of the ideas of the people in the room, and right. and they don't belong to any one person. So I would assume that as they're going through the collaboration process, we would hope anyway that they are going to be sharing different iterations, depending on which method they're using. But you as the instructor, would you recommend you still ask for drafts from the group? Yep. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> um, you know, someday we're going to have to do an episode just talking about drafts because yep. I, because that is such a... Uh, talk about, know. you know, you're not grading 25 papers, yeah. you're grading 50, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is not abs- actually true because you give different kind of feedback at different stages. Let's shift, you know, in our final moments here today, let's talk a little bit about how do you evaluate the this writing, this document that's produced? How do you uh, evalu- evaluate it not just for substance, but also f- for the collaboration? Okay. So that, so I would say, and, and I think also you want to um, evaluate it on the on the form, right? Because mm-hmm. as I said at the start, the concern I hear most frequently is, I just got this mess. They did the they did the research. They had some valuable stuff there, but it was it was not a single text. It right. was it was a quilt, crazy quilt, as a matter of fact. So I think um, you want to. I think you know. I'm a fan of rubrics. I know not everybody is, but I think you design a rubric Mm -hmm. before you start and you are very clear about those expectations, including the expectation that this will, that this text will have a single voice and will be cohesive and, you know, will not, um, will not be a crazy quilt. So you, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you Mm -hmm. need to find ways to to do that. And then, um, and then, yes, I would also have um, in the rubric um, an element, a, a criteria for um, the success of the group process or something like that. I mean, I would go, everything I've ever said before about um, evaluating group work goes mm-hmm. for this too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there might be a criteria that's based on contributions to the group or participation mm-hmm. in the group or whatever. And I would strongly recommend that that come from a combination of self-evaluation, peer evaluation, and instructor evaluation. So sure. that, you know, that, so maybe it's not part of the rubric, maybe it's something separate, but I think you do want to evaluate them, particularly if learning to write a text collaboratively is one of your course outcomes. Right. Okay. Right. So um, that's, you know, because if it's one of your course outcomes, then you probably are willing to spend some time supporting students. Sure. Designing the assignment well, preparing them for what they're about to experience, you know, in Mm -hmm. in a variety of ways and um, giving them some support along the way Mm -hmm. and then um, evaluating them um, based on criteria that they know up front is, is sort of the, that's the nutshell. You know, as we're talking about this, this would be attractive to me if I was teaching a course in the hard sciences or something mm-hmm. like that, because I could get the writing, I could get that that kind of learning that comes from having students write, but I can also take some of the unevenness out of the learning. The hope is that if they collaborate and they do a good job collaborating, that they will learn from each other and they will support each other in the learning. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So in some ways, even though it is a lot of heavy lifting at at the outset 
And it may mm-hmm. take you a couple tries to get it right. And you may be using... <laughs> maybe just a couple. Yeah, maybe just <laughs> a couple. And, maybe more. <laughs> and, and you may be using uh, rubrics for the first time or something like that. Um, I think that the benefit to your student will actually... I, th- I think there'll be some payoff there because they're engaging with the material in a different way. Maybe in a way they don't expect in a biology class or something like that. But they're also then able to support each other so that they, they kind of... they. They kind of form an idea of uh, of what they should be learning as they go along in right. writing this paper. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Claire, thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Let's Talk Teaching. You can find out more about today's episode by going to our website, ctlt.illinoisstate.edu. Click on the podcast link in the upper right of the page. For Dr. Claire LaMonica and for all of my colleagues here at the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology, Until we talk again, happy teaching.